I've titled my message, Wanderings in the Kingdom of Heaven, because I didn't really know where it was going, but I felt it was right to, for us to be thinking about what it means to be in the Kingdom of Heaven. And this morning, um, Nick had TVN on, and they were talking on there about the Kingdom of Heaven, and I'm thinking, well, I didn't include any of that. So, you have what was laid on my heart. <coughs> At the beginning of the coronation, the Archbishop of Canterbury explained that Charles was to be anointed king under the King of Kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us were pleasantly surprised at just how Christian the ceremony indeed was. As citizens of the UK, we are under the rule of the monarchy, of which King Charles III is the ruler, and we are the citizens. There are rules that we must obey or risk the consequence of a brush with the law. As citizens of the UK, there are also values and cultures that we embrace. But for those of us who name Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, the King of Kings, we too have values and laws that pertain to the Kingdom of Heaven, of which we are also citizens. Many of us have prayed the Lord's Prayer since childhood, I remember my mum standing at the door of our bedroom while my sister and I recited it before the light went out. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I wonder how often have we stopped to consider what it is we're praying for when we repeat those words. Thy kingdom come. Are we asking for the imminent return of Jesus so that he can set his kingdom up on earth? Or are we thinking that it means here and now? and that Jesus should be hailed King of Kings by everyone in our present time. The truth is that the Kingdom of God has come, it is coming, and it will come. Just like in our land, there are laws, cultures, and values. So in God's Kingdom, there are laws, culture, and values. But Jesus' laws are so alternative to those of our land. In so many areas, they are totally upside down. On the news we hear cries for justice, vengeance, punishments. But what does the Lord require of us? My favourite verse in the Bible is Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This verse first came to my attention in about 1972 when I heard it sung in a church in Philadelphia. Last Saturday, we attended a concert in St. Nicholas Church in Castle Heddingham, a building I've sat in or walked around for at least the last 40 years. But during one piece of music, I looked up at the wall on my left and read the memorial plaque of a man who died in the 1700s. At the bottom, it simply said, act justly, love mercy and walk humbly. What an epitaph to a man who 
who lived according to God's laws. And I've never noticed it before. We read other passages in the Bible that give us more clues to this upside-down kingdom. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. These are found in Matthew chapter 5, 39 to 40. The give up to 70 times 7. First remove the plank in your own eye before removing the splint in your own eye before removing the splinter in another's. I lost it wrong. This makes it a lot easier to understand the biblical quote that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are under new management. In Matthew 18. We read, of, we read of the unmerciful master, who having been forgiven of a huge debt by his master, was unable to forgive his own servant for a much lesser amount he, he owed him. And he had him sent off to prison to be tortured until he could be paid. In the Lord's Prayer we say, forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who trespass against us, do we? Are we harboring any unforgiveness towards others in our hearts? Unforgiveness is the easiest way to block our own relationship with Jesus and hinder our own personal spiritual growth. What about humility? Are we brazenly doing it our way? A song so many people choose to have played at their funeral. We must constantly ask ourselves whether we truly look to Jesus as our guide, our shepherd, and indeed our king. And then in Matthew 13, 44, 46 to 46, there are two very short parables. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The first tells of a man who found treasure and then went away and sold all he had to be able to purchase it. Similarly, in the second one, a man finds an extremely valuable pearl and again sold all he had to purchase that pearl. The treasure and the pearl represent the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is priceless. How far have we sold out to truly embrace the kingdom of heaven? And immediately after these two tiny parables, Matthew tucks another one in, the parable of the net. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. realize I'm not picking but somebody's ahead of me over there. <laughs> when it was full the fish the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. This is how it would be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace. 
and clearly thought about the passport into the place which God inhabits. Now let's look at the characteristics required of the citizens of this amazing kingdom. And for this we will look at the Beatitudes as recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And as we consider the Beatitudes, we can see our own personal individual pathways into the kingdom. Blessed can be translated as happy. Jesus was preaching to many who felt marginalized and thought to be inadequate, not good enough to be acceptable, both to their society and to those who were leaders and teachers of the law in the synagogues. They were not people who in the eyes of others would have been considered as blessed. But Jesus cries out to them in his inclusive statements. He blesses people who long to see righteousness, righteousness done, but do not have the power or standing in the world to bring it about. These nine blessings are spoken to the poor, the mourning, the meek, the seemingly unimportant. And Matt, uh, Matt read these for us earlier. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to recognize our brokenness and inadequacy before God. My brother-in-law once made the observation after reading an alpha newspaper full of stories about people coming to faith in Christ that they always seem to have to reach rock bottom first before they could accept Jesus. He was right. We need to reach a point in our lives when we realize that he is that something more that we need in our lives, that we cannot fully live an abundant life without him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It is hard to consider we are blessed when we're experiencing tremendous loss. But God promises to come alongside us. He meets us just where we are to comfort and help and to put back together a mosaic of all the broken pieces by his mercy and grace. And there is also a sense of mourning when we go through that process of our own brokenness as we repent and lament of our past sin. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Funny word, meek. And it's often thought to suggest quiet, passive, submissive, perhaps even weak. But the root meaning of the word suggests restrained power. The God-given power invested in us when we receive the Holy Spirit is to be in submission to Christ, so that we are totally guided and submitted to him just as Jesus himself was submitted to his Father in heaven. A meek horse is one that responds well to his rider's direction. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In the message, Eugene Peterson translates this beatitude as, You are blessed when you have worked up a good appetite for God. He is food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. Righteousness speaks of right relationships. We hear people say they did right by someone. In other words, we're told that someone acted 
in the very best way towards another. God is righteous and treats all people in the right way. How is our relationship with God? Are we in a right relationship with him? Are we hungry and thirsty for more of him? Do we long to be filled so that we can serve him better? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We have already reminded ourselves of the unmerciful servant and his just reward. As we truly accept what Jesus accomplished on our behalf on the cross, we can freely pay forward mercy, love and forgiveness with God's help. Sometimes we forget God's love and mercy towards us. And this will block our ability to show mercy both to ourselves and towards others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we have faithfully travelled through the stage of being poor in spirit and grieved over our sin, then we will desire purity of heart. But this is a hard one because pure seems to be synonymous with holy and we know we always fall short. Maybe we've experienced a somewhat divided life where we are talking the talk, but deep down we're not walking the walk. <laughs> I experienced that in Philadelphia in, in about 1971. I had been away from the Lord, though I had not denied my faith. God had very cleverly led me to a city church, and I'd become part of a singles group. And one weekend, we went away on a house party to the Pocono Mountains. I had enough Bible knowledge to easily take part in the discussions on the Bible, and I was even asked to read in my nice English accent. But as we read the passage in 1 Corinthians about love, I was deeply convicted, because at that moment it was only head knowledge, and I hadn't surrendered my heart back to him. The next thing I knew, I was applying to Bible college. King David in the Psalms lets us know just how far he falls short of being pure in heart. But still his heart's cry is to be clean before the Lord. Look at these verses in Psalm 51. Where he cries out to God to cleanse him and create in him a pure heart. In verse 2 it says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse 7 Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. And verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David got many things wrong, but what he got right was his understanding of how much he needed God. He knew he was dependent on God for both clean hands and a pure heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, or sons of God. As Christians, we are called to be peacemakers. This will involve building bridges, and sometimes the bridge gets trampled on, and we bear the consequences of being the middle man. Many of us will remember Terry Waite, who was held hostage, imprisoned in Beirut for five and a half years. Terry Waite was the Archbishop's emissary, tasked with having talks on reconciliation in the Middle East. We've heard him speak at Spring Harvest, showing no regrets 
and with his faith still intact. We are also called to have peace within ourselves, and we will attain this when we are in the right relationship with God, our Father, through Jesus Christ. Jesus has promised a peace that passes understanding. As children of God, maybe we are most like Jesus when we help others to find reconciliation. Lack of peace in the world is not just an absence of conflict, but the absence of the positive addition of God's peace. It's a message of hope, which gives us a purpose, meaning, and significance in our identity as a child of God. Obviously, this is the last beatitude to get our heads around this morning. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To rejoice under persecution sounds to me the hardest to understand. It's a big ask, but the Bible tells us that the reward will be great in heaven. Other verses also encourage us by saying that as long as we hang on to God, he will deliver us. In this country, we hear about localized persecution for standing up for one's faith. But in many countries across the world, it's a much more serious issue. And Christians are imprisoned or even killed for naming the name of Jesus. We are often overjoyed and amazed to hear stories of Christian prisoners sharing the gospel in prison. And I remind us all this morning that God wants to bring each one of us into a closer and deeper relationship with himself. He wants to remind us that we are part of the kingdom of heaven. We have looked at some of the teachings of Jesus on the subject of the kingdom, what it's like, how to enter, and how we as its citizens should honour God in our earthly walks. When Jesus gave Peter the keys of the kingdom, he said, it is upon this rock that I shall build the kingdom. I believe he meant to build it on the firm foundation of Peter's faith. We are the workmen in the kingdom of God, but we have not been left alone, ill-equipped to do the job of building the kingdom. For he has sent the Holy Spirit to come alongside each of us to empower us for the work ahead.